0: is called Radical Choices, and really is really um, has a lot to do with you know, life in the ministry of, of the Apostle Paul. But, and that's the larger context of it, but we, we've been looking at it particularly through a unique lens, and the lens that we're, we're focusing through is this idea of courage, but also conflict. In fact, one of the amazing things about the early church and how it emerges is, is how much conflict there actually is. And we've been sitting with that, so if, if we've been here for the past few weeks or we have familiarity with maybe the Bible already, some of the things that we're just going to be sort of stepping into is not unfamiliar at all. But if for some reason we're new and, or we have real, not a lot of exposure, you know, some of this is going to, to set where we're going, is going to have a little bit of a historical component to it. And that's actually really good for anyone who follows the Lord even who, because we need to be refreshed in, in the foundations a lot of times of just how the church grew and how, how it emerged and... Um, this will be a way of doing that. I'm not going to go back into all the details of what occurred. Last week we talked about what was one of the huge, significant resolutions in the early church, what's called the Jerusalem Council, was discussed in Acts 15. They came out of that, that, that uh, moment where there was so much tension, so much division around you know, what we now look back on and call the, the Jew-Gentile um, issue in the early church. The church, some of us may recall, in fact, I'll have them put the map up just to give everybody a quick connecting point. Jerusalem was where the church begins. Uh, the Jerusalem church was the it was kind of like the mother church. It, it's where the apostles were, the disciples were, of course, and the leadership emerges out of that. It was almost exclusively Jewish. But then something happened in Antioch of Syria up north. And the red line, by the way, that's the tracing of the first missionary journey that Paul and Barnabas took. But Antioch of Syria, which is the sending church of that first missions that ever happened, first time the message of Jesus was ever taken across the waters into places where it had never gone, started from the church in Antioch. But the church in Antioch was very different than the church in Jerusalem. It actually had kind of developed unexpectedly. It was a mixture of both Jew and Gentile. And in fact, the Gentiles were the growing, the non-Jewish community, the Greek community, was the, the larger growing part of that church. And so it had created a controversy that um, was potentially devastating to the unity of the early church because a lot of the, the people who were in the church in Jerusalem, leadership, felt that for people to really follow Jesus, they need to do what, what the Jewish people had done for generations, that Gentiles had to become Jewish. The Gentiles, um, you know, they were, if they were being asked to totally change their entire identity, to be circumcised as adults, to change their identity to become completely Jewish as a prerequisite to following Jesus, that was going to be a significant barrier. Paul, of course, felt absolutely convinced that that was not to be the case. Anyway, they had this huge council. The council has a decision that they come up with. We talked about that in depth. You can go back online and listen to that message as well or revisit Acts 15. But the essential core of it, they came to an agreement. They said, and really it was three leaders that stood up and and shared at different moments that are recorded. One of them was Peter. The other one was Barnabas who was Paul's missional partner and highly respected in the early church. And the other one was James, the half-brother of Jesus, who had not always been a believer. It wasn't until um, the resurrection of Christ that he became a believer. And he emerges as what essentially is the pastor of the church of Jerusalem. Now, I say all that because they came to a resolution. They said the Holy Spirit had led them to a point of consensus. And they basically asked Gentiles um, who were coming to follow Jesus that not to necessarily have to change you know, their culture, but they did ask them to, to become countercultural. Specifically, we talked about this, how it related to some of the morality and the idolatry that was taking place in the culture, some of the sexual practices, and then also to have some regard for their Jewish um, brethren, as they called them, who had different scruples. But for the most part, what they were being asked to do was not onerous. It certainly did not, mean that they had to change who they had been as a people, as a culture. So they were very happy, and that's what's being described in verse 30. We're going to start here, Acts 15, verse 30. It says, so when they were sent off, now they would be the team that had been sent from the church of Antioch, a delegation led by Paul and Barnabas and a few others had been sent down to the Jerusalem council. The council had convened, come up with a decision that was contained in this letter. It says, when they were sent off, they came to Antioch, and when they had gathered the multitude together, they delivered the letter. The letter had to do with the decision that was made. But the church in Jerusalem, just stay with me because it's foundational, they sent their own delegation back as well. They sent it under the leadership of two men, one of whom is named Judas Barsabbas, not Judas Iscariot, but Judas Barsabbas. Judas is a very common name in that day. And another leader named Silas, who will become more significant. Later on, He's also known as Silvanus. Uh, those two led the Jerusalem team because they wanted to have a representation of the Jerusalem church along with the group that had come back, Paul and Barnabas, from Antioch. So they all go back to Antioch bearing this letter, and it says that it was an extremely encouraging moment. Uh, it says when, verse uh, 31, when they, when they read it, the, the, the church read it, they just rejoiced because it was so encouraging. It says, now Judas and Silas themselves being prophets, that is, they were ministers, preachers, proclaimers of the word, they did what actually is the goal of, every, every, of you know, for us every time we gather. They exhorted and they strengthened the believers, the brethren, with many words. That one of the things that we try to do, at least I know that over the years I've tried to do, whenever it's my time to share, is to have a goal of strengthening faith and to encouraging us. The word encourage is interesting because at its root is courage. To encourage is to impart courage to remind us that we need to be courageous in the way that we pursue to live a life of faith with Christ, that we represent him in our everydayness of our real-world experience, whether it's on our job, you know, in our homes, that, that we're contending to be authentic versions of, of people who are serious about wanting to follow Jesus, and that it shows up in our lives. And part of why we gather is just like what they did when they were gathering, was to strengthen and to encourage one another to stay on a good path Um, So there's a value in coming together, not just because Jesus modeled it and told us to do it, because we also see that as an example that was set in place by the early church as well. Anyway, here's what we're told. It says that after they had stayed there for um, a a long time, a time that they actually sent, uh, they were sent back, this uh, Jerusalem team was sent back with greetings from the brethren to the apostles. So that team that had come from the Jerusalem church is sent back, but we're told that one of them actually stays. Silas stays. I mean, it seemed good to him to remain there. And then we're told in verse 35 that Paul and Barnabas, they also decided to remain in Antioch. And they were uh, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord and with many others as well. So it was this you know, large team of teachers and preachers that were there and there was a community that was growing and flourishing in Antioch. That's the picture we're given. By the way, this, if we stop right there, that is such a positive development. It's such a positive note because we got to understand that what's being described here is a time of, of rest and unity. Uh, people are feeling really good about what's happened. You've got to understand, for the months leading up, even the years leading up, there was tremendous tension. Now that tension has been resolved. And, and there's a, a real, I would call like a, you know like when, we're going, when we have a particular problem we're dealing with in our lives, and that situation has been perplexing and weighing on us, and then we finally it finally seems to come to a point of conclusion and we get through it, and you just, you just feel really free, freed up, and it's like, it's like ah, you know they were feeling like a breath of fresh air. it was like sunshine was in, the storm had passed. it was a really good time. Everybody was experiencing the Lord It was refreshing to just see what God was doing. everybody was encouraged. It was a really good atmosphere after a time of real difficulty. what what is amazing if, is that that was actually only a minor respite because what follows next is a is that there was a storm that was literally on the heels of the other storm, lurking behind the sunshine. Because it was going to be a contention of a different kind. Um, They had just come out of one, and now another one was about to break out. But this contention, this disagreement, this conflict, was not going to be between the the wings of the church and Jew-Gentile issues. The conflict that was about to occur actually is going to happen between two very close friends, two two men who actually really had grown to love each other as brothers, ministry partners, great leaders in their own right. For Paul and Barnabas were about to experience a tremendous piece of division in their friendship. And it was it was it started out as something so small, and it just grew like most things that really get out of hand. They usually start small. And we read here, and we'll go back to it in, in you know, one th- oh, you know, by the way, just I think we understand the Bible is kind of unique in this way. It's astonishingly honest about the flaws of his heroes and heroines. It really does, sh- it does remind us. It's not trying to hide things. It doesn't like work to just gloss over things and make everything neat and tidy and c- pristine. It-, it actually shows us people's flaws. It reminds us so much of what we see, and have been reading and studying, and we're going to look at right now, is very real. I think that's why we can relate to people. In fact, it's when we see people's weaknesses and struggles and disagreements, actually, it'll, it helps us. It's actually very helpful. It's one of the reasons I love Peter, and this is a total side note, is because I see such, such vulnerability, even in his failure. I found myself connecting with that. W- watch what happens here. It says this in verse 36. It says, after some time, Paul said to Barnabas, he said, why don't we, why don't we go back, and what we'll do is we'll go back and we'll visit each of the cities where we previously preached the word of the Lord just to, to see how they're doing, how these new believers are doing. Paul says, you know what? I'm, um, I'm ready to go back. I feel like we should go back and see the people, see how they're doing. Now remember, this is a period, an age, where you did not have quick communications. I mean, stuff that we take for granted, I mean, the speed of our communications, which would have seemed incredible. I mean, incredible, almost like science fiction just a few generations back the way that we communicate so rapidly. But in that period, in that era, in that time, that you, you, know, you may never get in contact unless, you, unless someone personally came or had traveled to you or you traveled to them. So Paul's going, you know, all those people, all those little communities, those, those communities of, of Jew and Gentile believers that gave their lives to Jesus and started their little churches and, and communities of faith— you know, I wonder how they're doing. I'm, I'm concerned about them. I want to go back and see them. I want to go back and encourage them. I want to follow up. He's talking about all those places. Cyprus, where they had experienced an amazing breakthrough. And then, of course, the other areas, Antioch of Pisidia. And, you know, you see Lystra and Derby and, and uh, you know, Perga as well which was their first stop. He said, we need to go back and see the people. We need to go back and encourage them. And so he, he poses this as a possibility, you know, because he, he's got this desire. And Paul is a very entrepreneurial person. He, he really loves to start things. But he kind of has this unique combination of, of he's both catalytic and he's also capable of growing something over time. So, but his heart always beats towards the idea of, of something new developing. So, he's this very unique person. I'll talk a little bit more about him later. But also, it's important for what we're about to see here that we appreciate who Barnabas, his, his primary teammate, uh, was, lo- what he was like. So, I think sometimes we, we pass by it too quickly. Barnabas, in his own right, is presented to us in the scriptures as an amazingly great man. Um, he, was, he was a person who actually had a more sterling reputation than, than Paul at this time. If you recall, Barnabas had been one of the original leaders of the church in Jerusalem, a follower of Jesus, who was much older than Paul. He had a lot of people who deeply respected him. Remember when we talked about the Jerusalem Council last week? It was Barnabas who actually was the primary spokesman more than Paul because he had a broader reach of influence. His reputation was as as a very gracious, spirit-sensitive man who was noted for his generosity and bigness of spirit. Um, But he was a humble man. So he also was someone who was deeply respected and highly regarded. If we recall, when Paul, when he was known as Saul, when he was not a follower of Jesus, but actually the premier persecutor of Christ, and he despised the way of Jesus and was tracking down followers of Jesus. Um, remember when he has that moment of conversion where he's on the road to Damascus and God appears to him and Jesus says, you know, I, you know why are you persecuting me? I'm Jesus whom you're persecuting. he has this, this total you know, shift in his life, a complete turnaround, um, even represented symbolically but also physically by his blindness. And when he comes out of that, he's really a different man. He's horrified at what he's done. He's now fully committed to wanting to represent Jesus, especially to the Gentiles that the Lord told him he was going to have a, a way of reaching. I say all that because when Paul, when Saul, at the time when he when he started to try to make his way into the community of believers in Jesus, he was initially rejected. They walled him off. They said that you're not really welcome here. They didn't believe him. They thought he was actually trying to trick them. It was a bit of a ruse to find out their networks because remember, he had been tracking people down, imprisoning some as well. And, and there is a strong belief that more than a few died at his, indirectly or directly from his hand. So his reputation was tarnished and people were afraid of him, they really were. But it was Barnabas, interestingly enough, the, the leader who's so highly respected and whose opinion mattered to a lot of people that stepped forward and was willing to sponsor Saul and said, you know what? I believe in this man. I believe that what God is doing in him is genuine. We need to welcome him in not be afraid. He, Barnabas sponsors Paul at his early time in his life of faith. And you know what? It was a huge, it made a big, it was a big deal. When they start out on their missionary journey, heading out from Antioch, you see it, when they started heading to Cyprus, when they said they, they felt like the Holy Spirit, the Lord was giving them an impression they needed to go and take the message, Paul and Barnabas agreed to go together. They had a third member of their team. His name was John Mark. He was an assistant. When they went together, remember it was Barnabas. When they start, the, the, when they start out, the team is Barnabas and, and Saul. It's, that's the order. He's the older one. He's the clear leader. Barnabas is the leader, not Paul. And in fact, his, I think some of the greatness of Barnabas's character is really revealed because as you follow what happens, as they start to go along, it becomes apparent that what God really wants is for Paul to step forward and become the primary leader. Even though he has been the junior member, it's, it's, it's apparent to Barnabas that it's Paul whose who's gifting for what they were doing meant that he should step forward and the Lord's hand was with it. Barnabas is such a quality person. Because you know You know how hard it is when you, when, when you have someone who's even a peer and then they get promoted over us? That's one thing. It's another thing when you've been the leader and then someone else leapfrog. and now you're, you're, he does this with such grace, with such meekness. I mean, he's, because the team is no longer Barnabas and Saul, it turns into Paul and Barnabas. And it's a very, and and you know what? The man had a bigness of heart that was matched only by the bigness of his humility. And he completely, there was no sense that he was, you know, resentful, um, that he somehow struggled with his identity because now Paul was becoming more. He was for him; it was all about reaching people for the Lord, and he just wanted to do. It. This is the kind of man he was. He was an encourager. He wasn't about Barnabas. It was about what God wanted, and he loved Paul. And so that's the picture we're given. And on top of that, remember, every one of those cities that they went to, where they suffered persecution, and we know Paul almost dies. Remember in Lystra, every one of those places. You know, Barnabas was with him all the way. He put his life on the line. So he's not only all those things, but he's also a man of great courage. And so when this conversation occurs, let's just remember for a moment who Barnabas actually is. And what does he suggest to him? What does he say? What is he trying to get at? Um, because basically, Paul says, hey, Barnabas, I would like to, I want to, I feel like God wants us to go. Look at says. After some time, Paul said to Barnabas, verse 36, you know, let's go back and visit each city where we previously preached the word of the Lord. And let's just see how these new believers are doing. Let's do this again. I feel like it's time, and I, I'd like for you to do it. What do you think? What do you do? What do you think about? It? We'll go back to see the churches. You know, um, I think I think God was with us before. I know He was. He'll be with us again. I know there's some risks involved. Barnabas, are you in? Right. That's what we're. That's kind of what. We're, and and look what he says. It says Barnabas agreed. Paul and but there was one little caveat because he throws something in. is, I would love to, and, Bar, and Paul probably goes, that's great. He says, You know, I was thinking about it, Barnabas says. Um, you know what I'd like to do? I'd like for us to consider taking John Mark with us. This, you know, I think it would be a good idea. And Paul's going, What is it? John Mark? Because you gotta remember, the last time they had brought John Mark, all right, he had gone with them to Cyprus. Everything was great. But then when they got to, you can see, they, they decided, What do we do next? They go from Paphos to Perga. You see that little line right there across the Mediterranean? When they get there, Paul goes, God wants us to go into the highlands. He wants us to, put, to, to go on a journey that's going to be very dangerous and very risky. Barnabas, do you want to do this? And, Bar- and they said, Barnabas said, I'm with you. But John Mark said, I'm not. I quit. I'm going back home. And he left. Paul was so upset with that. He didn't forget it. So here's Barnabas going, You know, I want to go back with you. But I was thinking, you know, we should take with us John Mark. Paul, he's changed a lot. He's grown a lot since the last time. I think it would be really good for him to come with us. I think it would be good for him. I think it would be really good for us. Wait, you know, what do you think about that? You know, I just want to throw that out there. I mean, he's a quality young man. I, I think there's been a lot of changes that's been going on. And, and you know what? Um, it's like Paul says to him, Barney, are, are you serious? John Mark? The last time we took John Mark, you you remember what happened. He was with us when everything was going easy, but as soon as it got tough, he was gone. And he quit. He stuck us out here. I guess we just stuck out all by ourselves. He he abandoned us. I can't have him. This is what Paul says. I can't have him. I can't take the risk. We can't have John Mark come with us. This is not going to happen. You, it's like, if you want to go work on some things, you can work on it with some other, some other stuff, but he's not going to work, on, work, his, work through his issues with us. He, it, one commentator said it, it was like a staff that had been leaned on and snapped. Paul wasn't going to lean on it again. In his mind, and by the way, this is a great debate. A lot of people are going, you know, they, they fall out one way or the other. I mean, a lot of the research I did is like, there's about 50-50 split. Who's right here? Is Paul, maybe the better way is to say, who's more right? Or maybe the better way Who's less wrong? I don't know. All I'll gonna say this. Usually we fall one way or the other. Paul has a perspective that, look, this is too serious. We're, here, we're going back into places where it's going to be risky and dangerous. And honestly, we have to have trust. Trust that when the heat is on, the, the, the other of us will hold the ground. We cannot have someone quit on us when it gets hard. And he's already shown that he will do that. And once you do that in life, you will do it again if the right buttons are put. No, you know what? I cannot have John Mark come. Find somebody else, but not him. Barnabas says, no, well, wait a second, Paul, because you know what we like? I mean, he's a good, he's, good, he's a good, he just, he's grown. And I'm, I believe in him. I believe the Lord wants people to have second chances. Now, see, that's a very, those are two different ways of looking at the same issue. And usually people kind of fall one way or the other in terms of who's, who's right? Is Paul being too firm? Is Barnabas being too accommodating? Are they both right in a way? Are they both kind of, you know, th- these are the things that often are discussed. What we know is, look, oh, by the way, look what it says in verse, in verse 38. It says, it doesn't just say that they had a disagreement, a mild, okay, look what it says. It says, Paul disagreed strongly. He disagreed strongly since John Mark had de- deserted, that's the word, look at that word, deserted them. In Pamphylia, and it had not continued with them in their work. When it says Paul, when the Bible says something like disagreed strongly, that's like saying he escalated this thing at a high level. It was a, the response by Paul was intense. It was like there is no way I am taking him. He is not coming with that. That John Mark is not part of this conversation right now. If it, Paul strongly disagrees strongly disagrees. He makes it known. I'm not having him. He's not coming. That's the way it is. He's already shown who he is to me. I don't have room for that. I really don't. It's too serious. We're going to places where we're trying to tell people to be strong, to be courageous, and then to have someone there who's just honestly not modeled that at all. I don't feel like it's right. It's wrong. I'm not taking him. We're not taking him. I'm not taking him, Barnabas. Barnabas said, well, we should. I believe in him. Paul says, well, I don't. Paul says, well, I do. You know, Barnabas says, well, I do. Barnum, Paul says, I don't care what you feel. I don't. You see how it goes, right? It wasn't like just this like mellow, oh, you know, yes, I see your p- opinion. Paul escalated it. He strongly disagreed. It got intense. Oh, and by the way, that's because partly because Paul was in, an enormously focused person. You've got to appreciate who he is. I don't think the world's ever seen anybody like Paul. Um, he, he was super intense, when he was, uh, when he threw himself in, he was all in. And he had this, he, physically, he says, I, he, he said it in his own writing, he says, I'm, I know I'm unimpressive. But mentally, spiritually, he was, intellectually, he was fierce, strong. And he was focused in. And so in his mind, it was kind of like, you're either all in or you're not. Uh, Barnabas has got this far more relational side to him. And so they disagree, and um, I, you know, I can't help but thinking as they're talking and having that conversation, and as they strongly disagree, that you know, Barnabas says something like, well, I disagree, and um, I think everybody deserves a second chance, Paul, and I wonder if under his breath he says, you know, you had quite a past as well. <laughs> if, I, if I'm not mistaken, the Lord gave you a second chance. So did I. So here, uh, what happens next is what we're going to spend more time talking about next week. I want to I take it and turn it towards us. And I'm going to put a couple things on the board and just have a sit with them. Just something that stood out to me, and I hope that it means something to you. I hope it does. Uh, but I want to put this up, you guys. I want to say that one of the things that I'm reminded of in this whole exchange, in this whole time, is that we need to be grateful for the good seasons in life. I know it sounds so simple. But these, I looked at this, they had this little space in between these two, this huge contention over here. Then they have this little space. It's a good space. It's a good space. And then they have all of a sudden another issue that emerges. And it's such a small thing. It's, it begins like a little crack. But then by the time it's done, it's got this huge fissure. It, it just builds up in this huge issue. That happens in life. And when we, But I'm, I'm trying to focus in on the good things. And when we're in these good seasons, I think it's really good, helpful, To periodically slow down and to say thank you lord and to really also reflect on what's happening i think we rush past things way too quickly there are some spaces in life where i'm not talking about things perfect but there actually is a very good season in life and we need to we need to sort of mark those moments a little better sometimes we need to we need to enjoy them appreciate them and certainly not take them for granted because listen to me every good season has a lifespan it does There's not one blessing here in this life, aside from Christ, that we won't leave behind. And the the fact is that we need to periodically, It's one of the values of of honestly coming to the Lord's house on a weekly basis. It's what Jesus modeled it and taught us. The Sabbath principle holds. Because what it does is it forces us out of our our sort of, you know, goings and comings, our work and our pursuits of entertainment in our, in our cultural vernacular, And it causes us to think long thoughts in Christ and evaluate our life in a very different way. And we can do that on our own. But there's something about the unique dynamic of, of pausing to mark and listen and to open up our hearts and our minds to grow as a follower. It, um, and one of the things that we are invited to do is reflect and to think about our life and what God's trying to teach us and tell us and work, work in and out of us. You know, how do I grow? What is he trying to teach me? How do I, Lord? And then along the way, we need to be grateful. Because here's the second piece that stands out to me, is that what occurs, and this is something that we're all going to probably notice, and we're all going to say, yeah, I know that, is number two, is that we should never be shocked when problems pile up not only do they, they will at some point. It's like, you're a bearer of bad news. No, I'm being honest. I, 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 think, I, I think that sometimes things happen. Have you ever had this happen where things are going great and um, we're doing well and it's a wonderful season and all of a sudden, wow, man, I get hit out of nowhere. I mean, it could be a financial thing that hits me. It could be all of a sudden like a little argument that I have, a relational conflict work. All of a sudden a project I've been working on is not going so I thought everything was going right, it's not. All of a sudden, something occurs, you know, it's a health issue I wasn't expecting. When I get hit with something, it kind of knocks me off balance. But then while I'm basically trying to recover, deal with that, square that off, another thing hits me out of here. And before long, and, and, and that's where they get the phrase, when it rains, it pours. Because before long, we find ourselves getting hit. Sometimes that's how life is. It's not, it's not even something we did. It's just, you know, we live in a broken world. We, we are all broken at some level, sin, sin impacted. It's just part of the way it is. And sometimes things happen that aren't always fair. And in these places when they do, boy, it's really important that we have a way of responding that's healthy. And that, because just like they had to deal with conflict, and interestingly enough, their conflict was interpersonal. The first one was philosophical. It had to do with a large swath of people groups. It just, how do we see things? But the second one had to do at a very personal level. It was at a level of friendship. A very meaningful relationship was, was experiencing deep pressure and I think we can play this out at a number of levels. It can certainly happen in a friendship. We'll talk about that. But it can also happen in, in critical relationships, in our families, in our, in our marriages, in our homes, uh, close relationships even with people we work with. These things happen. Certainly can happen in churches as well. But the primary context here is friendship. Now here's the third, third piece here, and I'll just put it up there. When things happen, when problems happen, when disappointments occur, it's important that we do not allow those things to begin to define us. That we do not allow ourselves to become cynical or disillusioned um, with things, right? Conflicts and disappointments. I mean, we've all had the experience of people letting us down. I can't tell you how many people come to uh, church over, uh, over the years that I've just had casual conversations with. And as I got a little bit deeper in those conversations, I realized that many of them were coming out of wounded places, and some of those wounded places actually were connected to, to, to churches that they had been a part of before. Not all, but where they had experienced tremendous trust injuries, sometimes in their own homes, and they loved the people. Love what we love, you know. They would say, well, "I love Jesus, but I mean, really, I got really hurt there." But I get that. That can happen all over our lives. I mean, the thing is, when things start to happen that are unfair, and again, I, I don't want to just put it only in, in the context of a church, but it can happen just in life. When we start experiencing conflict and disappointment or people let us down, it might happen in our families, you know, it's, it's, we got to be really careful, especially when it's, we find ourselves starting to get really angry. Like what can happen is a lot of times we'll start to feel, you know, when things hit us enough, we can start to get very depressed. And when we're, when we're very depressed and discouraged, maybe we might feel lonely, maybe we have a hope that's deferred, We've been hoping for something to happen, it's not happening, and eventually we just get worn down and we feel defeated. It Might have to do with an internal struggle that we have, that we feel like we're never really gonna get through this. We've had hopes at moments, but then we try, but then it doesn't work, and we, and we feel really, honestly, we, we carry some shame. Over time, those things can turn into real discouragement. They start to define us. That can also happen with when we feel like we've been hurt by someone, and, and we have an offense that we carry, and so that resentment is in us. But if we're not careful, it turns into a low-grade anger. That anger unaddressed or given an unhealthy expression starts to define our life. And then all of a sudden, if we're not careful, it can get corrupted and become bitter. And bitterness corrupts many people. It just sets a cloud in motion of destruction. And it hurts, it damages, as significant. the words that we speak, the way we look at things, the, the, the critical mindset. As G, remember Jesus taught us? Blessed are the unoffended. Don't, don't look like that. Don't always be seeing what's wrong. You mar the ability of that to bless it. I, I know that. Okay, we could spend a lot of time just on that principle alone. But I want to flesh it over to the fourth one, which is this. I only have two little quick ones to share. And that is this. That remember this. What we learn and what we're going to learn next week as well is friendships are fragile. Critical relationships are very fragile things. And any of us who are in any illusions about that, I'm going to tell you something. Some things need to be absolutely nurtured. Yeah, they can be affected. Um, it's amazing how something so little can become so big. That's what this partly is teaching us. The, and by the way, these were not lightweight people. These were not people who were used to, like, being angry at everybody. They were actually loved each other. They cared for one. Barnett, Paul. If you ask Paul and Barnabas, the last thing on their mind was, oh, we're going to have a, a big problem in our friendship that's going to result in us going in different directions. I mean, if you were to tell them that, they would have said, no, what are you talking about? Paul would have said, I love Barnabas. I mean, he, he was there for me. No one else was. He was. We've been through, through so many things together. Barnabas would have said, I love Paul. He's like, a, he's like my brother. But yet what we're going to see is this one issue becomes so big and, and that these two, these two genuinely loving men can't get through it. And it becomes something that becomes a huge issue. And I'm reminded that our, our friendships, um, our key relationships, certainly in our homes as well, is we need to, to nurture and really seek to honor the best ones, like, a, like as if they were, and I'm t- talking to myself too, like a fragile gift, like a box that says, oh, handle with care, because stuff's in there that can be broken really easily. That's what that's telling me. So we need to be careful. You know, I was thinking about this last night. I went home after the, after the Saturday evening service, and I was thinking about this. And as I was sitting there in bed, I was thinking, and all of a sudden, I, I remembered a song that I had learned, um, well, I had heard years ago when I was just starting to follow Jesus. Uh, when I started following the Lord, it was just a little bit after Christian music, our music started to change. There was a whole wave of hip, I'm honest, hippies who came in, in the Jesus movement to faith and the, they got kind of disillusioned with the drugs and the whole scene, even many of them here in, in the hate of our own city, the hate district. And they ended up, they ended up that, a lot of those flowers wilted and uh, the utopia wasn't there. And many of them be, turned to Jesus and, and they brought with them their music. And the music made its way into the church. And that's what kind of began the whole sort of like Christian, you know, what we might call it, Christian rock or Christian folk music. You know, it's di- very different than like the hymns that were sung. And I, I say that because I was thinking about a song from a man named Randy Stonehill. And he wrote this song about a friendship that he had with a the, with the man named Larry Norman, who was a pioneer of the, of, of the whole new wave of, of Christian music. And they had a close friendship and it melted down. And he wrote this song called Even the Best of Friends. And I was thinking about, there was one line you know, that I was thinking about, and so I went back and looked it up and I just looked at the lyrics, and um, I, I, I wanted to just read them to you, because it really, am- I just, it's, I was just, gonna float them through the screen, but it, they fascinated me. It said that even the best, he was talking about his own experience, he says, even the best of friends give in sometimes to their darker side, put up a wall of stubborn pride, not willing to make amends. He said, even the best of friends betray your trust in a moment of anger. It's so easy to point a finger, and that, that's when it all begins with even the best of friends. It says, even the best of friends, they don't always see things eye to eye, as Paul and Barnabas. Won't always understand just why, but that's when you should try to bend. Even the best of friends need to cling to their common ground before the hurt starts coming down and they can't turn around again. Even the best of friends, even the best of friends need to learn to forgive each other, take all the faults that true love covers, and I love this, and just let them go into the winds. Man, we need to guard our friendships. Last thing I'll say, right on the heels of this, and it has to do with conflict, and we'll just leave it up to finish it up, is that God is even going to use the conflicts in our lives to bring about his good. He can. He desires to. What we're going to see is that this was not a good thing. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I don't think the Bible will. It's not, it's not like this was actually a positive thing, but you know what? God will bring good from it. And it's a reminder that in life, that that there are things that happen to us, happen because of us, happen to us because of us, both directions, that are not good. And sometimes we look, sometimes the hardest one to deal with is not the one that was actually, we had nothing to do and just hits us. It's the one that we actually had a lot to do with. And now I'm suffering the consequences of decisions and choices I made. But I want to say this. God tells us that he can even bring good from even the mistakes of our lives. Romans 8.28, Paul would later on write these words. He would say, and we know that all things can work together for good to those that love God and are centered, are called into his purpose. If we place ourselves there, if we, and what that's telling me is cultivate a trust for God, make space. You know what I think? Followers of Jesus are to be essentially optimistic. We have so much hope. And we are to be a people who seek to live that way. It doesn't mean everything's good. It doesn't mean th- everything is, is going to turn out exactly as we were hoping. You know what it does mean? God can bring good out of everything. Everything. So here's what I would like to do. When we close the service, we intentionally pick the song that, that captures an element of what we're just sharing here. And there's going to be a part in this song where I just want to, you know, I wanna, as we share it together, I want you to think about, if, if we choose, this is kind of how I would like us to think about engaging our worship moment. There's something that we're struggling through that we need God to really show up in. If there's an area that we're hope, we're, we, we say, Lord, give me, give me hope in this area. I pray for a. What I'm saying is, for some of us, we need to have a prayer of optimistic faith and say, Lord, I'm inviting you into this. I'm inviting you to make good come from this bad. Even as I share these words, even as I think about what's being sung here, I'm going to choose to engage it prayerfully. I want to ask you, Lord, to show up in a way that I can't even see right now. And I invite you. I welcome you into this. And, you know, there's a part of the song, and I, 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 I know there's no way I can properly, you know, convey it, but how it kind of appeals to me. But there's this part of the song, sort of the last part of it, in the song called Better Days, and the lyrics are actually there, where it says, Green grass, I'm laying in the sunlight of you. It's talking about the Lord. And the wind is moving through the trees, ushering you. And the better days you bring, the better place is found. And then there's this line, feasting at your table, I am overwhelmed. Sometimes out a place of our womb, there are times where God's grace visits us. And all of a sudden, in, in that place, we feel the goodness of God. And it's like the Lord is telling us, let that go. Surrender that to me. And when we feel that moment, it's like the sun, like the breeze. It, it's like that moment where he says in this song, he says, I lift my glass to drink to the love that never gave up. The love of God that relentlessly, per, relentlessly pursues us. Oh, and it personifies grace. Oh, grace, oh, grace that pursues me. The love of God. I just love that. That's how he thinks of us. That's how he calls us. I mean, what a, what a beautiful thing that is. And I want to pray, pray in that, and then we'll have our time of giving, and we'll close with this song. But Lord, I, I thank you. Um, I, I love you. I, love, I, love, I thank you for the privilege of being able to talk about you and share share together here. With all of us, Lord, I pray that each one of us would just be open to your overtures. Ah, the melodies that you wanna sing through us, the poetry you wanna write. Master, artist, creator of the beauty of this world, I pray that you would write your lines in us. And that as we think about, oh, grace upon grace, what it means to surrender, what it means to say thank you, what it means to just be grateful, Lord, let things come alive in us. Awaken dead places. Bring life. That's wherever you go, life goes. So I just pray, follow us with your relentless love and the goodness of your grace. Be near, we pray. Keep us close to you. Remind us of what's most important. Blessing upon blessings. Good days ahead, better days. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.